like I want to make people happy and like do the right thing and be successful. And like that, I think a lot of people end up getting sucked into that and then have to be like, wait, why am I doing this? Where am I? Do I want to be here? Why did I make these choices? Um, and you have to kind of like rethink it and figure out what actually makes you happy and what you actually want to do. Um, luckily, you know, just being competitive and wanting to get better and better and better at running has turned out pretty good for me because I do love, I, you know, when I sit back, I do love what I'm doing. Um, but it is like something you have to be careful of. Like, why am I so obsessed with, you know, being so good at that or not failing? Like, it, maybe it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something I'll probably be like working with the rest of my life. That's Colleen Quigley. And this is episode 45 of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and we are back with another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you for joining me. This is a show where I glean insight and inspiration from some of the top athletes, coaches, and personalities in the sport of running, and this week is certainly no exception. I am super excited to welcome 2016 Olympian Colleen Quigley to the show. Colleen is a native of St. Louis, Missouri. She grew up running and modeling. She ran track and cross country at Florida State University. She joined the Bowerman Track Club shortly after graduating, made the Olympic team about a year later. She's run fast in the mile. She's been injured. She's come back from injuries. She likes to braid hair. She likes to eat food. And we talked about all those things and then some over the course of an hour or so, a couple weeks back in San Francisco before she took off for altitude camp. I won't ruin the rest of it for you. It's a great conversation. I think you will enjoy listening to it. So without further ado, here we go with 2016 Olympian Colleen Quigley. Mic check on yours. Sure. Colleen Quigley. Mic check, mic check. <laughs> Perfect. Check one, two, and we are good to go. All right, Colleen Quigley, aka Steeple Squigs. <laughs> That's right. Welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we're in San Francisco. This is not your home or your home base, I should say, but tell me a little bit about why you're here. Yeah. So home is Portland, Oregon. Um, I just counted up from 2018 though. I only spent 138, 137 nights in my own bed in 2018. So not even half the year. (laughs) So when you say home, yeah, not even half the year. Home is, um, yeah, a loose term because I am all over the place, but this is also kind of one of my homes. My boyfriend lives here and, um, we have a place here. And so I have a place in Portland and a place here and then wherever we are for for travel, training, and and races is the rest of the time. So there we go. City noise in the background. We were just talking about that. Totally fine. Uh, I think it just adds to the authenticity of the conversation. We're in Soma. It's going to be loud. (laughs) It's going to be loud. So that's what that is for you people out there in podcast land. Well, today's January 2nd, um, beginning of the year. Take me through your day. It's early afternoon for us right now, 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. What have you done up to this point? Yeah, um, this morning, I usually wake up around 7. Um, first thing I do when I wake up is meditate for 10 minutes. Um, and then I do coffee, uh, oatmeal, breakfast, um, check emails, and just kind of do like normal morning things for probably like 
about an hour, maybe like 7.30 to 8.30. And then um, if I'm here, then I don't really have much travel to do after that to get to where I'm going. I usually just run from straight from the door. Um, but if we're, you know, if I'm at home in Portland or if we're at an altitude training site, we usually have to drive, you know, 20, 30 minutes to get to our training, training site. Um, but here it's easy. I just put on my shoes and run out the door this morning. I went over to a track that's, um, three miles away from here. So I just carried my spikes with me, ran over to the track as part of my warm up, did my workout and ran back. Um, ate some food and then went to the gym. Usually I would not do the gym on a workout day, but I'm traveling tomorrow. And so I wanted, I won't have time to do it tomorrow. Okay. So I wanted to fit it in, but we'll get into that travel here in a little bit, but your morning routine that you just described, (laughs) is that something that follows you wherever you go? Do you try to follow a similar routine, whether you're here, whether you're in Portland, whether you're at altitude camp over in Europe, wherever it may be? Yeah, pretty much. I think that's one of the keys to traveling well and not feeling like, since I travel so much, not feeling all over the place and just disconnected is trying to, no matter where I am, no matter what bed I'm waking up in, I try and keep my schedule as similar as possible to just normal. Um, even when I'm home for the holidays, you know, I try and run in the morning because I always run in the morning. Um, it's easy to get kind of caught up sometimes when you're in somewhere new to do something else, but then you just feel off kilter the rest of the day. So I just, yeah, I try and, and stick to a good routine. I think that's a good takeaway for everyone yeah. listening to this conversation. Where are you off to tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow, I'm headed with the Barman Babes to Colorado Springs, where we're going to do a month of training at high altitude before the indoor season starts. So it's what we do every year, uh, every January, around January 2nd or 3rd, as m- many people um, as possible. I think... I think we have like nine women, maybe nine women and maybe like six or six or eight men um, are going up this year. Some people, you know, have to sit out because of injury or um, some marathoners don't go because they're on a different schedule or whatever. But um, we do take a lot of people up to that first trip and just get the year off, started off right. Um, some good training. And will your coaches be there for the entirety of the altitude camp or how does that work? No. So uh, when I first joined the the team here, uh, the Barberman Track Club, I, uh, I guess I thought it would be more like college where my coach was there every single day, but, um, we're big girls and big boys now. So we have to be on our own the majority of the time. And Jerry, our coach comes up for our key workouts, but he's not necessarily there for every workout. Um, and he's definitely not there for the easy days. You know, we have to take care of business between workouts. So sometimes he flies up for the workout, watches our workout and gets back on the plane without even spending the night there. So he's in and out. Yeah. So there's a high um, level of accountability for totally. all of you to stay on the you schedule. You got to do your stuff. Yeah. He trusts us to do that. We also have another coach, um, Pascal Dobert is our weights coach, our assistant coach. Um, he does the weights program and he works with the hurdlers on hurdle stuff. So he will come up between those workout days to take, take us to the gym or meet us at the gym and take us through our, our workout there. So we do have some, um, some oversight in, in that area. So where are you right now in terms of your training and racing? It's early on in the year. It's been a little while since yeah. we last saw you on a start line. Take me through where you're at right now. Yeah, it's kind of funny because you asked that because my dad, when I was home, my dad was my coach and when I was in high school. 
And when I was home uh, for Christmas, you know, he's always interested in what I'm doing uh, and my training and he's always very into it. He still coaches my old high school team. And he said, so what are you going to do in the next month, you know, to get ready for the indoor season? If you're going to run Milrose, which I'm not sure if I'm doing yet, but I might, he's like, that's in like a month from now. Like, what are you going to do in the next four or five weeks? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm going to go train at altitude. <laughs> don't, don't pressure me. Don't stress me out. Um, but basically, yeah, the fall for us is just um, base training. So Tuesdays is hills and then uh, speed endurance on the track, which is what I did today, even though it's a Wednesday today. Uh, and then Thursdays is our strength day. So like mile repeats, uh, off short recovery, or maybe a long tempo or, um, maybe a couple long tempos back to back, uh, just, you know, something really strength oriented and then Sunday long run, of course. Um, so we've been doing that all fall and this fall I have been healthy, um, and hope to knock on wood. <laughs> I don't have any wood near me, but I'm going to knock on my head because it's about close enough. Knock on wood. I want to stay healthy. Last fall, I missed the entire fall of training because of an injury and had to basically, I had like a few weeks of running before I met the group up at altitude. So I was definitely playing catch up when we got to altitude, which is so, I mean, altitude training is hard enough as it is. And then to come in without that base, um, when everyone else did have a base, that was definitely um, a struggle. And I was still swimming a lot when I was there too. Um, luckily we train at the Olympic training center and they have a 50 meter Olympic size pool. So that part wasn't so bad, but this year I'm really excited to come in with that base underneath me and be ready to, to do real workouts and not have to, I was still getting, you know, like kind of baby workouts at the beginning of altitude last year where I couldn't handle the whole session. So I think it'll be a lot more fun hopefully this year. So you, you think you're a little ahead of where you were last year at this point? It feels like it. Yeah. I mean, just having, I mean, I could do a workout this morning. I remember last year I was like doing kind of like, oh, I'll do like a fart lick or, you know, just like uh, effort-based work because I had no idea where I was. I'd been in the pool, so I was like working, but my running legs definitely weren't quite underneath me yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so this year, yeah, I feel like I've been working out with the girls and I know kind of better idea where I'm at and better place to jump off of. Um, and hopefully that adjustment phase at altitude, which is always rough, um, will be maybe a little less, less so this year. Yeah. But that's exciting because yeah. even though you were behind where you are now last year, you right. still had a great indoor season. You won totally. the Wanamaker mile at Milrose. You made a U.S. team in the 1500 and raced mm -hmm. at the world championship. So that's got to give you a little bit of excitement heading into this year, knowing that you're already a couple steps ahead of where you were. Totally. Yeah. This point last I year. don't know how I think people were totally sleeping on me at Milrose because, um, I don't think I still wasn't really seen as a 1500 mile, you know, runner. Um, uh, whereas a lot of the women in the field, that was their, that's their specialty. And, you know, a lot of times still seen as a steeplechaser. So they were sleeping on me because of that, but also just because yeah, I'd been injured and I'm pretty open on social media about what I'm doing where I'm at. So I was, you know, saying I'm being a mermaid, I'm in the pool, like trying to make it fun, but it sucks. Um, and so yeah, it, the interviews before the race, they were like asking me about that and stuff. Um, but altitude's amazing. And I think that kind of just saved me and kind of, you know, jump started my fitness. And then it was, um, I was able to save the season and still make the world team. I think it's safe to say you're not going to sneak up on too many more people <laughs> I think this I can't year. sneak up on anyone this year. <laughs> well, and you just had a, a great year last year in general. You won yeah. that race. You ran a PB in the 1500 outdoors. You were second to Jenny Simpson yeah. at 
the Fifth Avenue Mile. I think that was your last race, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Yep. So yep. you sort of broke out of that steeplechaser shell. Yeah. Not that you're not going to do the steeplechase, but right. you showed you have more range than that. Yeah, I love the 1500 and the mile. I think it's such a fun event. It's just so fast and crazy and then it's over. And um, I've loved it a lot in, in college too. I would always take the mile over the 3K um, or the five, God forbid, over the 5K <laughs> <laughs> in, in college and that hasn't changed. I have a deal with my coach that I don't have to run the 5K until I tell him I want to run a 5K. He's not going to force me to do the 5K. And he keeps reminding me of the deal as if I've forgotten. And I'm like, no, no, I remember. I haven't said anything, but it's not because I forgot. It's because I don't want to do one. Does he think you have really good potential in that event? I think he, I think we both know that um, one day I will be able to do, you know, run a pretty good 5K. Um, I definitely didn't do as much of the strength training in college as we do now. So I've, I knew coming in, I had a lot of room for improvement in that area. Um, just trying to tempo with the girls, with Shalene and Emily, when I first joined was a joke. I couldn't even tempo half of their tempo with them at, you know, 520 pace. I was like, my tempo was like 550 pace. So I was struggling for sure. Um, but I've gotten a lot, a ton stronger in that area right before I left for Christmas. We did a five mile tempo at 520 pace and then some, what did you do after that? Some 12 mile, 12, eight, four or something after that. It was like part of the workout. And, you know, I led the last mile and felt really like relaxed. So I know I've in that way, I know I've come so far in my strength and my aerobic capacity. So I know it's coming, the 5K, just, yeah. You're going to try to hold it off. Put it off a little longer. As as long as you can. So what will the next month look like for you? Who will be your primary training partners when you get up to Colorado Springs? And how will the work transition without getting into the specific details of it? I'm sure sure on some level, you just don't know. Yeah, we actually, yeah, we don't know the workouts until we show up, um, until after we warm up, then he'll tell us the workout. So I have no idea... Uh, I mean, I can kind of guess the type of stuff that we'd be doing just based off the past, but we mix it up a lot. And, you know, he's, Jerry's constantly surprising us. And I think I know the workout or the type of workout when I show up some days and it's like totally not. Um, so don't really know. But um, typically everyone actually does, even though we're doing some different events, we typically do most of the same workouts. I would say like three out of the four workouts in a cycle are the same. And then like that fourth workout would be a specific to, if you're running the mile, you're doing quarters at race pace, or if you're doing like cross country, you know, you're doing like mile repeats or something, um, on that other day. But then, you know, on the, on the 75% other of the other workouts we're doing, it's like a tempo day with some repeats afterwards or light speed or, you know, a long run workout. And those we all pretty much do together. Um, the only difference is like maybe speed day. There's certain people who have just like more natural speed than others. And so he's going to have to tone it back for those like 10 K runners. He's going to just say like, you know, do your best or whatever. Um, he's not going to make uh, someone who's specializing in the 10K try and keep up with Shelby Houlihan on speed day. So that's kind of different. But for the most part, we like do everything together. And yeah. then easy runs we always do together. Well, let's talk about the group itself. When you joined, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, it was Shalane, Emily yep. Infeld. Mm-hmm. And that might have been it. Um, Sammy Silva was training with us at the time, okay. but she honestly was injured. Uh, she had some some bad luck with injuries. And so I, I probably worked out with her like once <laughs> um, the whole time that 
between my injuries and her injuries, we didn't never really synced up on that. Um, but yeah, Emily and Shalane were my two training partners for the first year. Now you've got Shelby, you've got Mariel Hall, you've yeah. got Kate Grace, you've got Amy Craig. I know right. I'm missing some others Gwen, in there. Gwen is in Courtney, the group as well. Yeah. So now <laughs> it's you've hard got to keep a, track of everyone. <laughs> now you've got a squad. Yeah. How exciting is that for you, having been one of the first women mm-hmm. on the Bowerman Track Club to see the group evolve? and have the success that it's had in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's amazing. I told Jerry when I joined that I, you know, I was hesitant to only have Shalane and and Emily as training partners because, you know, Shalane's doing the marathon and Emily's doing the 10K. And I'm like, I don't even want to do a 5K, you know, like I need some people who can, like, God love them, but who have some speed, you know, (laughs) I need to be pushed in that area. And so he was like, I know, I, I, you know, I want to add more women. I like, is something we want to do, but it just you know, hasn't been right or whatever. I'm like, well, like who, like, who do you want to add? And he gave me the names of a few people he was interested in. And one of them was Shelby. And it was one of those, like, it's like when you're dating and you know, no one wants to call. It's like, well, I'm interested in her. And I don't know if she's interested in me. And she's like, well, I don't know if he's interested in me. And he's like big, scary coach. I don't want to call him. And I was like, this is stupid. Like, did you I'm play just, matchmaker? Yeah, totally. I was like <laughs> messaging Shelby on, I was terrified of Shelby myself. I mean, look at the girl, like I've only raced against her. She's got the most terrifying eyes. She's a killer. <laughs> I was like, I'm scared, but I need training partners. So whatever, I'm just going to message her. And, uh, she at the time was planning on staying with her college coach. But I was like, well, I mean, it's just, you know, it's an option. You might as well explore it. Here's his, you know, email, phone number. If you are interested, he's interested in you. Um, I just reached out to him uh, through my college coach had connection. So it's not weird for you to reach out to him. You know, you can be the one. And she did and then ended up um, She's done okay. know, being convinced <laughs> to join the team. I think it was a, obviously a really good decision for her. Yeah. Um, but then it just, it kind of snowballs from there. You know, it's like when Courtney was coming out of college, I mean, that was like the, of course, she's like, of course I'm going to join them. Um, I think she was only nervous that they weren't going to, that Jerry and Pascal weren't going to want to add another steeplechaser since they already had me and I had just joined that, that year. But they were like, no, like, oh, I think you guys can both make the team and I think you'll be better if you train together, um, which I agree with. So that was, yeah, that was a great addition. And then, yeah, just every year. And then Marielle and Kate were our next two and, and our first ones that we didn't add just like straight from college, you know, they'd already been into a pro pro group before. Um, so I think their transition was probably a little bit easier, but it's always, always tough. And then we added Gwen, um, who won, <laughs> the Olympic Games and the triathlon. No big deal. Casual. Uh, but it was also a tough transition for her because she decided to have a baby and then switch sports. So now she's training for the marathon and it's a lot more running and less swimming and less biking that she's used to. Um, and I guess that was our... Oh, and then this summer we added two more straight from college. They're our newbies, I call them freshies. Um, Vanessa Frazier and, and Chris Schweitzer um, joined. So now we're up to 11. And do you see yourself now as a mentor for some of the newer women who are joining? Um, I mean, kind of for our freshies. Yeah. We all like just, you know, help pitch in if there's someone, sometimes it's like me that Krissa's, you know, talking to about her experience and helping me on something. So it goes both ways. Um, but I do feel like now I kind of have a good grasp on how the group works and how Jerry works. And so when the newbies are having questions about like workouts or 
how does the whole altitude thing work? What, how are we going to, where are we going to live and how are we going to get around? And, you know, I've done it a few yeah. times now, so I can answer those questions, which is, is nice. Um, but yeah, there's still so much that I'm learning too. And, um, I would say like our mother hen would have to be Shalane. She knows the answers to everything. <laughs> she's anything that you've ever dealt, that you ever do with, she's already dealt with. Um, and she's, yeah, definitely the most knowledgeable. Let's put a pin in that. So I want to get back to (laughs) Shalane and specifically your relationship with her. But in a group like that, where you've got so many incredible women and men who are making Olympic teams, contending for global medals, winning major marathons, what does, not just those accomplishments, but what does that level of success and that group success do for the overall momentum of the group when you are in it? Yeah. I think you, we saw that a lot, um, at the, the 2016 trials, um, because, you know, the trials are spread out between like a whole week, I think. And so, and well, the marathon was even earlier than that. Mm -hmm. So we had, um, Jelaine and Amy qualify in February and got us started off right two for two. And then we just kept adding and like every single person who raced kept making the team. And we were just like, oh my God, like, this is crazy. Like every single person who lined up to try and make the team made the team. It was just like, this is so weird on the women's side. That is, um, we're just kept going, kept going. And it got to, uh, Shelby was the last one in the 5k. And she talked about later about like just having to watch everyone the whole time. Like, you know, well, Emily was injured 10 weeks before the trials and Colleen was injured 10 weeks before the trials and they both made the team. And then Courtney ran the whole NCAA season and then had to come back. And you know, that's so tough. And she did it. And it's like, what the heck is my excuse? Like I got to do it, you know? Um, and so that kind of momentum, that's what I think the power of the group is where it's like, that happens all the time in workouts, you know, like Mm -hmm. you want to give up. It's like a six mile tempo and you're like, this sucks, but no one else is falling off. So it's like, what's my excuse? I'm not going to do it. Like I got to do it too. I'm not going to give up either. Um, and that adds up, you know, um, on a day to day basis and then translates to, you know, better fitness and better racing. Hey, we are going to take a quick break, not just because I need a breather, but we have to thank our sponsor for this episode. And it's one that I am really excited about Strava. I've personally been a Strava user for five years now. You can look me up. My name is Mario Fraley. Give me a follow if you aren't already. I post there almost every day. And Strava is hands down the best app for runners, cyclists, and triathletes. Strava is a great way to keep yourself accountable, stick to your New Year's resolutions, keep track of your training, analyze the data afterward, and it's also a great way to stay connected with and be motivated by other athletes who are getting after it every day. Aside from that last bit, one of my favorite Strava features, it's called workout analysis, which automatically graphs each lap split that I take on my watch, like if I'm out doing a track workout, and it shows it to me afterward in varying shades of blue, making it easy to see my intensity level for each effort. It's an intuitive and easy way to evaluate my workout, compare efforts, and check my overall progress, and I have had just way too much fun geeking out over bar graphs the last few years. Strava is free to use whenever you want to log a workout, uh, but there's also a number of extra special Summit features that cost just a few dollars a month that allow you to set goals and stay motivated, better analyze your workouts, 
dig deeper into the data, share your location with others during activities, and explore new places with confidence. There's a lot more, but for a limited time, you can check it out yourself because Strava is offering Morning Shakeout listeners, that is you, a chance to try these Summit features for free, absolutely free. Just go to strava.com slash summit. That's strava, S-T-R-A-V-A dot com slash summit, S-U-M-M-I-T, and enter the code SHAKEOUT. That is one word, SHAKEOUT, all lowercase, at checkout, and you'll see what Summit's all about. My thanks to Strava for their support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show. So you've been a part of the group for two plus years now, been coached by Jerry Schumacher for two plus years now. Jerry's kind of a mystery man. Mm -hmm. He does not put himself out front. He is not in the spotlight. He doesn't answer (laughs) a lot of questions. How has your relationship with Jerry as your coach evolved over the last couple of years? Totally. Yeah. I think I was a little like when I first joined the group, a little, um, like he just is so he's super easy to talk to, but he also like keeps at his cards pretty close. Like you don't really know the plan, you know, and he's, he doesn't really sit down and talk to you about how the year is going to go and like what he's thinking at what races he wants you in. Like you don't really know things till the last minute. And so you just have to like trust a lot and just, you know, go with it. And whatever he tells you, what information he tells you, you go, okay. And then, you know, execute, um, which definitely took some getting used to from college. My college coach, um, was Karen Harvey and she at Florida state and she was very organized and very upfront about the plan. And we actually had like a periodization sheet that she would give us at the beginning of the year. And each, you know, each athlete had their own based on, what their needs were and their mileage was and stuff. And so I would get to see all the key workouts and what my races were going to be throughout the year. And, and it's a little different in college. You actually do typically know more about what your races are going to be. And there's more races. Um, but yeah, that was really weird at first to just have to like fly by the seat of my pants. Um, but I think that has, I've kind of gotten over that now. It's, you know, it's been three years and I'm like, okay, fine. Like, I'm not going to know what the workout is until after we warm up. Like, I'm going to survive. It's annoying to me still, but I'm like, whatever. (laughs) I can can deal with it now. Um, And I do know, like, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, if I do everything he says, I'll be successful. And so that trust is there because the results always speak for themselves. Did it take long for you to gain that trust? Not too long, just because the results were there so quickly that it was like, oh, dang, okay, this does work. You know, it it wasn't, um, I did get injured a bit and that was kind of a learning experience about, well, that's weird. Like I'm not doing any more mileage than I did in college. And I, you know, but the intensity of everything was so much more that I did have to end up scaling back on my mileage for the first like year or so and just do more cross training. Um, but so I did have a little bit of that kind of adjustment, but yeah, I mean, it was making teams and PRing like right away. So then it was like, well, it's working like, oh, well, you know, I'll just kind of shut up and do it. <laughs> Let's talk about Shalane for a little bit. I know that when you went on your call recruiting visit yeah. for Bowerman <laughs> Track Club, you stayed at Shalane's house yeah, and she, <laughs> as you had described as the mother hen yeah. of the group. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship with her and what that initial interaction was like when you were showing interest in joining the Bowerman Track Club. Yeah, uh, my college coach introduced me to Shalane and gave me her phone number. And so I called her and we talked about just like um, her experience with Jerry and joining the group and living in Portland and stuff. 
Um, she was super open about everything and just, um, you know, like took the time, wasn't, didn't make me feel rushed or didn't make me feel like I was inconveniencing her or anything. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm talking to Shalane Flanagan. Um, and then, yeah, just as I joined the group and started to like need, you know, help adjusting, like I didn't have any place to stay when I first moved there. Um, I ended up joining and then making the world's team and then going to altitude with the group. And I had all my stuff from USA's from NCAAs and USA's cause I never went back across the country to Florida. So I had all my crap with me and I was in Portland and she was, you know, I just moved in her basement basically for like two months, um, until after the season was over. And then, you know, I needed time to figure out where the heck I was going to move. And it was just like a big transition phase. Um, and her and Steve were so gracious. They have a beautiful house and a beautiful lower level with some spare bedrooms that, um, one that I stayed in. And so, yeah, that was just amazing to have somewhere to feel comfortable where I could just figure out what the heck I was doing without feeling stressed out about where am I going to live and how am I going to eat? And, you know, we cook together and all that kind of stuff. So it was really nice. What have you learned from her and just in general about the business of being a pro athlete in the last few years? Because I know that wasn't on your radar from the time you were a little kid and it's not easy to make it as a pro athlete in running. And even when you were leaving Florida state, you weren't exactly sure that was going to be your path. So I'd love to learn a bit about your learnings in that area. Yeah. I didn't even, uh, realize until like my junior year of college that being a pro athlete was a thing like that I could do. That was a job. I was like, what? I can get paid to keep running. So yeah, I didn't, I don't really know what I even expected it to look like, but Shalane was the perfect person for, for me to look to as an example, because she really does it, um, just so well. Like she really has this dedication of talk about like routines. She is the queen of routines. Um, you know, she gets up early and she does her thing and she's very professional about running. Um, I know there's a lot of professional runners that, um, you know, it doesn't, it's hard to tell the difference between running in college and running professionally. But for Shalane, it's like, it is so professional. Every part of what she does, um, is so intentional and so focused. And so that was, that was the perfect person for me to learn how to do this thing. Like, how should I handle this lifestyle? It's like, Especially in your I early 20s. I want to do it like that. Yeah. Right. I was like, that's what I should be doing. She's doing it right. Um, yeah. When I was yeah 23 or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was really glad to have that as a, a perfect example, like right there of what to do. Yeah. And beyond that and the work ethic yeah. that you can observe and the routine and all of that, it's you know, and Shalane has put up some of the best results of any American woman ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're like, okay, I I want to aspire to that as well. But also, I mean, I think there's this tendency for pro runners to, especially when they go to like altitude camp, they'll just lock themselves up for a couple of weeks and you never hear from them. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, so-and-so raced over the weekend. Yeah. Like how about that side of it for you? Like beyond Mm -hmm. just the racing and the training and that part of the professionalism, like having a presence the rest of the year, connecting with your fans, um, with younger athletes who are looking to you as a role model. I'd love to learn more about how that has gone for you over the last few years. Yeah. Shalane is a good example of that too, because, um, you know, there are definitely, there is the type of uh, professional runner who just wants to run and then, um, you know, whatever it is, um, play video games or, um, just sit on the couch or 
you know, whatever. I don't even know what they do <laughs> in their free time. Um, but yeah, Shalane um, takes her running very seriously and is very dedicated to it. But I think she has that perfect balance of like when she does have free time or maybe she's an off season or between races, you know, she has other passions and other things she's interested in. Um, and her two, two now cookbooks are a perfect example of she took a passion of hers, which is nutrition and food and fueling herself in a way that was beneficial for her work um, and shared that, was able to share that with other people and her followers, people who are constantly asking her, like, how do you do it? And it's like, well, this is how. Um, and that's a big project. And I know it took a lot of time and effort from from her, but I know it was something that she loved too, that she was really passionate about um, and just was symbiotic with her running um, work. Um, and so, yeah, that's something I also want to do in my career is to do be more than just a runner, more than just an athlete and try and, um, show people that you don't have to just, you know, live in a hole for, um, nine months out of the year and pop out to race and go back in your hole. Um, I want to enjoy the whole process and do lots of things that I love. Um, I love nutrition. I studied, um, dietetics in college. So I love nutrition and food. Um, I just love to be creative. I like to, I have a journal. Um, I meditate, um, I do other things that are, I think helpful for my running. Like if I just ran and then sat on the couch and thought about running the rest of the day, I would go berserk. I can't do, I can't do that. I can't, um, yeah, I have to have other things going on. I think it helps my running to Mm -hmm. have other things going on. Um, and then also when I'm injured and I, you know, I can't run I'm cross training, but you know, I'm not like, I don't get that. Oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? Like, I'm so lost feeling. It's like I have other things that make me feel whole besides running, which I think is like healthy. Yeah, it's super. (laughs) I think it's super important. And taking that even a step further, I mean, you're still fairly early on in your professional career and hopefully we'll be doing this for quite a while longer. (laughs) But what are you doing at this point, if anything, to set yourself up for what you would like to do beyond running. You mentioned your degree in dietetics, yeah. um, interest in nutrition, all the different things that you're doing. I'd love to get some insight yeah. on that. It's a good question. Um, I don't really know. I'm also, I volunteer coach with uh, the Portland State Cross Country and Track Team in Portland whenever I'm home, um, which just means like when I'm home, I go to practice, you know, once or two times a week. Um, in the fall, I get to go to a couple of the cross country races um, when I'm in my downtime in the fall. Um, and then, yeah, just help as much as I can with recruiting and stuff like that. Um, and I really enjoy it. I've really enjoyed the time doing that. I've also volunteer coached with the Bowerman Track Club. We have a, um, youth program in the fall and we have like 300 kids that come out for cross country. That's such an awesome team and program because you have that, then you have like the general clubs, the masters, the, the elite, which is not your team. And then the pros. Right. Yeah. That's a a really unique setup. level of running, which I think is really cool. I don't know, um, any group in the country that does has the, such an elite, elite side and then also really supports, um, all different ages of, of runners as well, which is really fun to, you know, see other people running with the BTC Jersey on, um, especially the kiddos in the fall. They're so cool to see them go to nationals and, um, get on the podium and, you know, after work, uh, watching them work so hard all fall Mm -hmm. and be like, this is amazing. But all that being said, I really enjoy it, but I don't necessarily see myself becoming a coach after I'm done running. I think, 
you know, that sometimes seems like a natural path for runners to start coaching. And I don't think I'd be like unhappy doing that, but I also don't, I don't have a f- extremely strong calling for that. Um, I do see myself somehow staying, um, connected with dietetics in some way. It is a little, at least right now, the way it is with dietetics is that you have to do a one-year internship after you do your four-year undergrad program uh, before you can sit for an exam to become a registered dietitian or a licensed nutritionist. So I have not done the internship and I would have to do that um, whenever I, you know, stop running. It's pretty, it's like full-time gig where you're like on your feet all day in the hospital, you know, type thing. So I can't do that while I'm, while I'm training. Um, so I'd have to do that later if I wanted to, you know, get certified, but I could, you know, somehow stay in the industry in that space, be connected right? without that certification. Um, so yeah, I could see myself doing something like that. Um, I don't know. I also want to start a family and, and do that too. So yeah, we'll have to see. I also don't know how long this is going to last or if I want to, you know, end up moving up an event someday or, uh, you know, I don't know. We're just going to have to see. I really thought when I went pro, I thought I'll do this for a year, try and make a team, try and, you know, I graduated in 2015. So I thought I'll try and make the team. Drop the mic and be like, I'm out. Yeah. And then if I make the team, awesome. I went to the Olympics, move on, do dietetics. If I don't make the team, eh, I was only a year of my life wasted. Like at least I tried. And then again, move on dietetics rest of my life. Uh, it's not gonna <laughs> obviously happen that way. I got, you know, after one making one team, I just got addicted and now I just want to do it again and again, and again, do more and be more better. So, uh, we'll have to see how long it lasts. Let's hit rewind. You had mentioned that your dad was your high school coach. Yeah. What was your introduction to running? Well, um, my family is uh, a family of runners, at least uh, my immediate family. So my mom and dad both ran marathons back in the day. Um, Both had the goal of qualifying for the Olympic trials when they were running. Um, Neither of them were able to achieve that. My mom got close and then she got pregnant. Um, But yeah, they both ran marathons. And then my brother ended up running and he ran at Mizzou. He did steeplechase actually. um, Your older brother? Older brother. Um, and then he graduated and started, um, training for a couple of years with the Oregon track club, um, in Eugene and then a series of injuries, um, a couple torn labrums and stuff ended up never being healthy at the right time and also didn't get to make the trials. So when I went to the trials in 2016, it was a big deal for my whole family, just something they had wanted to do that, you know, everyone was there to watch and they were just so excited that I just made it there. You kind of fulfilled this family dream. Yeah, without even making the team. It was like, you made the trials, like, that's amazing. And so making the team was obviously a big bonus, but it was cool to just have them all there. And uh, they were so excited and just happy to, they were at the Olympic trials and it was so exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, just like a kind of a family of runners. Then my little sister is a dancer. Um, she just moved to graduated and moved to Chicago as a professional dancer. So, um, family of athletes for sure. Talented athletes at that. Yeah. 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 Pretty exciting. So you had mentioned that your brother was a steeplechaser. Is that what inspired you to pursue (laughs) that event? Um, it's kind of, I'm laughing because my brother and I are so competitive, like even at home for, um, how much older than you is he? He's four years older. So (laughs) we shouldn't have been competitive because he's a boy and he is a lot older than me, but I definitely was always felt competitive. We were actually homeschooled until, um, I was homeschooled until high school. He was homeschooled until eighth grade. And so like when we were younger, the only thing that I was better at him was spelling. 
And I was always a better speller than him. And I just reveled in that. Like I can spell better than you and have like better handwriting than him. But we were always competitive and everything. I don't think he, I like knew that he was doing the steeple and like whatever, but I, I didn't really, I wasn't really interested in it. I wasn't watching him going like, I want to do that. It was like, yeah, my brother does this weird event where he like jumps over stuff and like no one else does it. It's kind of weird that he does it, you know? Um, it wasn't until my college coach saw me running in high school and she was like, I want you to come to Florida State and you're going to run the steeplechase for me. And I was like, well, whatever, lady, like full ride, I'll go, you know? I'll do whatever you yeah, tell me to. Yeah. And yeah, and then she she taught me like how to steeple and she brought in, actually, she brought in a coach who had retired and was still living in Tallahassee, um, but he coached um, the 400 meter hurdles. He coached like Kim Batten and stuff back in the day. And so he came out of retirement to teach me how teach to Teach you how to jump over shit? Yeah. You know? That's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. What was it like to be coached by your dad in high school? It was really awesome. We That was a great chance for us to, to bond and have a really strong relationship. Like I said, I was homeschooled, but my dad was um, teaching high school and coaching at an all-boys high school when I was growing up. So he would, you know, teach all day and then go to practice and then come home like around dinner time. Um, and my mom was home with us all day. So I became really close with my mom that way. But then when I got to high school, that was my chance to spend, you know, a couple hours every afternoon uh, with my dad and really get to know him. And then we would, of course, drive home together after school and just talk about running or whatever was going on. And, you know, we'd have every day we'd have a snack, usually pretzels and an apple. And we'd get to the highway by the time we were done eating apples and we'd throw our apple cores out the window into the, the grass next to the highway that was like our after school routine we would do it like every day um and then yeah we'd go you know to races and um the girl all the girls on my team always loved him and stuff and that that was a great time for us to to he learned a lot about me and I learned about him and um really respected him as a coach and um and then when it was time for me to move on and go to Florida State he was awesome about that too. He just knew that, you know, he had done his job and it was time for him to like back off and let someone else take over. And he was amazing about that too. He never tried to coach me in college or get in the way of, of coach Harvey coaching me in college, which was like the best thing that he could have done. For I me. read on your website that one of the biggest takeaways from your time being coached by your dad is that mm -hmm. he kept it fun for you. It oh, was yeah. never super serious. And we see now, especially yeah. as a sport grows in our country, that kids are getting more serious about mm -hmm. it and specialize at a younger age. There's a lot more pressure on them totally. from a younger age. And some of those people break through, but it's a very small number of people. Right. Most of them end up burning out. How important is it in general to keep it fun at yeah. that age? Courtney and I were just talking about this the other day because we noticed that there's not as many younger steeplechasers coming up in the sport that are in college who like seem like they have a lot of potential. Um, and we were like talking about how it was interesting that Courtney and I both, um, didn't run at a young age at all. Um, I was dancing and playing soccer and Courtney was doing gymnastics and I ran, started running a little earlier than her, but even then I was a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. She didn't start running until like, I think senior year of high school. Um, we were doing these other sports and, and loving those sports and being active and, you know, becoming car <laughs> <City laughs> <Car> alarm. <laughs> we, were, we were active and we were becoming um, athletic and coordinated and learning our bodies and being competitive. But um, yeah, not not in that sport until later. And I think when a lot of these 
you know, younger kids are that we see at NXN and stuff, which is really fun. They're running really fast. Um, and they look like they're in college already sometimes, which is cool, but, um, they are specializing earlier. And I think maybe that like lack of playing other sports, the hand, hand eye coordination, the body awareness from not doing gymnastics or soccer or volleyball or basketball or whatever. Just isn't um, there. Yeah. It's not there. And then it's harder to learn how to steeple. You know, they're not, they're used to just running straight ahead and, and then they can't pick it up, pick up the hurdling and that coordination and, or maybe their bodies can't handle that extra impact as well. Um, I am not a scientist. This is not, there's no scientific study backing this up, but we were just talking about it. We're like, maybe that has something to do with it. Cause you do really see the specialized runners a lot earlier than I feel like we ever have. Yeah. Well, and on another level, speaking from my own experience as a coach, you see it with just runners in yeah. general, they don't think of themselves as athletes. It's like, well, no, I just need to run from here to there. So all I'm going to do is just run from here to there every day. And they don't focus on strength. They don't focus on, you know, their overall athleticism. Mm -hmm. They just think of themselves as runners. And it's like, no, 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 you're an athlete who Mm -hmm. specializes in running. And as an athlete, you've got to think a little bit more holistically than you are now. And, and, you know, yeah, I think to your point, we're seeing that now at, at a younger level where it's like, nope, you have talent in running. Just go run. Go run. Yeah. And I get a lot of, I mean, I get a lot of emails from injured runners all the time. Um, I have a email address on my website that anyone can, you know, contact me with questions or whatever. And I get to so many young kids saying, you know, I'm injured, like 13 year olds saying runners and I'm in, I'm a runner and I'm injured and I'm, you know, I'm so upset about it. It's been, you know, a couple months since I've been able to run. I have this or that going on and it's like heartbreaking and I'm so lost and it's like, holy cow, you're 13. Like go swim, go do a different sport. You don't have to run. You know, it's like, go play with your friends. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, keep it, just keep it light. I think that was like, you said, the best thing that my dad did was like, we had so much fun, you know, running cross country as a team together. We had a blast, you know, training and working out. We did like 35, maybe 30 to 40 miles a week. Um, so every Sunday we took off, uh, we were in the weight room a couple of times a week. Um, yeah, it was just, it was always fun and tried to make it seem like, um, not as, you know, not going to work. And even now the girls and I talk about that all the time, like keeping practice fun and like, we're going to go play running now. Um, because I feel like as soon as you lose that, as soon as it becomes like this stressful burden, then it's like, forget it. And I think every runner's been there, even if they haven't run at a professional level. I see it with age groupers all the time and they think that running or their results are going to define them. And it becomes, I mean, in your job, it is, in your case, it is work. It is your job to a degree, but you lose the fun. I think regardless of what level we're at, it's important to go back to your roots and remind yourself why you get into this in the first place, what it it was that you loved about it in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, case in point, I was on the track this morning with one of my athletes, D1 Collegiate runner at Georgetown, All-American, has had all kinds of frustrations over the last few years. And this morning we said, we are playing track. Yeah. Like we are playing track. And just that shift in mindset has, you know, for both of us, has kind of completely, you know, revitalized our our love for running and serves as a good reminder of why it is that we do this and what we enjoy about it. That's awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that. When as soon as it becomes a stressor, it's not fun anymore. And then, yeah, why the heck would you do it? Especially if you're not getting paid, you know, like, why would you do it if you're not having fun? Better ways to spend your time. (laughs) Yeah, you have to have fun. And whatever it is, like, maybe you're not having fun with it because you keep getting injured. So then you start swimming because, you know, that's what you only thing you can do. And then start having fun doing that. And then, oh, maybe I could turn it into a triathlon or like whatever. 
um, I think that can be a much more enjoyable way mm-hmm. to spend your time. You mentioned being competitive with your brother in all sorts yeah. of things, spelling bees and whatnot. <laughs> Are you a naturally competitive person? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. It's funny when I go back like for Christmas or for Thanksgiving or whatever and uh, with my siblings and uh, we just kind of like we just pick up right where, we, you know, we left off when we were kids, whatever, whatever it is. Um, my grandma was, was telling a story this past year. She tells it every year, but she's reminding us and reminding my boyfriend of this, this story when I was like, I don't know how, maybe it was like five or six and we were playing Candyland. It was just me and my grandma and my grandma went to the bathroom and I was supposed to set up the game board and I stacked the deck for myself for Candyland. <laughs> I every other card was like one of the like awesome like sugar plum whatever, you know, candy the good ones and then my grandma would get like green, you know. <laughs> after a few just after a few times of that happening, she started to She figured like, it out. Yeah, what what's going on here? And I was like, I just have really good luck. I don't know. <laughs> I was like five. So I think I've just always, uh, been that way. I think maybe since then I've hopefully learned not to cheat. But <laughs> So any of you pro women out there yeah. who might be listening to this, Colleen Quigley is stacking the deck against cheat. you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've learned, uh, it's not as much fun to win when you cheat, but that's just like how my family is. I have, uh, my dad has, my dad grew up in Paducah and he has three brothers. Uh, he's one of four boys and they all played a ton of sports growing up and, um, are just like, yeah, good, you know, Midwest kids or I guess Southern kids. Um, but yeah, whenever I go to races and stuff, sometimes they come like they were, uh, at an uncle in Rio and then two uncles in London last summer. And they'll, they'll joke about like, all right, who do you, who do you want me to trip? Who should I take out? You know, like, like they like, it's like joke, but like, they're so competitive. Like they want me to win. Like, at all costs like you gotta win I think that's just how my family is yeah very competitive but I used to actually not want to compete at all when I was younger because I was afraid like terrified of losing and so I thought if I don't compete I can't lose um so I had to get over that and realize you got to put yourself on the start line well I had read that about you that you have this fear of rejection yeah where did that come from I have I I mean I don't know uh I think probably everyone has like some kind of just natural, like you want to, you don't want to do well. You want to fit in, you want to be accepted. You want to get the big pat on the back thing. Um, I was not that I'm like the same as her. I wish I was, but I was just reading the Michelle Obama, um, becoming book. And she talks about like just her whole life, just wanting to, she's just like that type a follow the beaten path, do the steps, check the boxes, get the gold star, you know, Mm. do everything, go to the right schools, do well there, go to law school. Wait, did I want to go to law school? Not really. Do I want to become a lawyer? Not really. But I was just doing what I was like supposed to do um, or like whatever step was supposed to come next. And I, I related to that so much. I was like, me too. I just, I want to do like, I want to make people happy and like do the right thing and be successful and like, that I think a lot of people end up getting sucked into that and then have to be like, wait, why am I doing this? Where am I? Do I want to be here? Why did I make these choices? Um, and you have to kind of like rethink it and figure out what actually makes you happy and what you actually want to do. Um, luckily, you know, just being competitive and wanting to get better and better and better at 
running has turned out pretty good for me because I do love, I, you know, when I sit back, I do love what I'm doing. Um, but it is like something you have to be careful of. Like, why am I so obsessed with, you know, being so good at that or not failing? Like, it, maybe it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something I'll probably be like working with the rest of my life. But aside from the competitive aspect of it, what do you love about running? Oh man, that's a good question. I, whenever I think about like what I love about running, I remember this one time when I um, first joined the team at Florida State. Um, I was surrounded by all these, you know, women who already had done the things that I want to do. Like they become all Americans and national um, champions already. And um, coming from high school, that's like, they're like goddesses, you know, and you're like, oh my God, they're so amazing. And like, could I ever even be anything like them? And I don't know, I hope, but maybe if I'm close enough, they'll rub off on me. Um, and that was inspiring. And just, I remember just going on this run, it was, you know, Florida, so sunny and warm and we're just like out running through this path and we're just talking and everything, you know, I barely knew them, but I just joined the team and it felt like I was like, you know, one of the pack already. And we're just like running, you know, normal run and just felt so good. You know, it felt like this is where I'm supposed to be and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and I felt that again, when I joined the BTC being like these women, they're, you know, Olympians and medal, uh, world medalists and, and Olympic medalists. Like, that's what I want to be. God, I hope if I'm close enough to them, they'll rub off on me. And, and I didn't know them that well, but it, you know, it felt like we're all just runners and we're you know, out here working or, on a run together. And it feels so good to just be part of that and be part of a community of people who are so great and just so runners are the best people. And it enriches um, other parts of your life yeah. as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think, you know, when you talk about a million and one things when you're out for just like an hour run even. And so I've always worked out any issues that I have going on the rest of my life. You like work it out, um, whether it's by yourself or with with the girls on a run, you get done with it and you're like, I know what I'm going to do about whatever that I was worried about. Um, so yeah, there's so many things, but I think that's, it's like that day to day, just going for a run Mm -hmm. that I love the most. A few more things I want to touch on before we wrap up here. Back in high school, you really could have went in one of two directions and you chose to go run at Florida state. But by that point, you had had a modeling career, which was a few years old, and you could have gone that route and mm-hmm. become you become a professional model, I guess, yeah. at that point. How did you get into modeling as a kid? Yeah, I so like I said, I was dancing, um, and my dance teacher um, had done a little bit of modeling herself, and she kept telling me and telling my mom, like, she should get into modeling. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think she could be successful. And my mom, um, if you've gotten any hints from my family, from the homeschooling or the very, um, clean natural diet that we had, you know, my mom's super granola and very, um, like against any kind of, that sounds like she's gonna, you know, get sucked into some kind of bad situation that I wouldn't want my daughter in. And I don't want her in that world. Um, so my mom was like, nope, not happening. Um, but I think she finally got worn down and I went, ended up just going to like a Macy's 
Um, is it something you were excited dress about? Thing. Yeah, I, I was kind of indifferent about it, I think. Like, people had kept telling me, like, you should try modeling. And I was like, oh, maybe. Like, I wasn't like, mom, please. Um, but I was also interested. I was like, mm, maybe. That could be fun. Um, and so, we, yeah, we ended up doing this, like, uh, little, like, open casting call for Macy's. And I um, got cast in this little uh, fashion show. And then I met an agent in St. Louis, um, West Model and Talent. Um, and they set me up with an agency in New York. I was with Wilhelmina for like four years, I guess. Um, and it was super fun. Like we traveled all over the place. One of my parents always went with me uh, to shoots, whether it was like going to New York or sometimes it was like Dallas or um, sometimes it was like Paris or Mexico or no wonder like, you're so Turks good at being a nomad. Yeah, yeah, totally. I you're got that, that was the on. first time that I had left the country. I had never on our family vacations, we were like camping and stuff, which was really fun, but I'd never, I don't even know if I'd been on a plane before. Um, yeah, it was very different from any experience I'd ever had with my family. Um, but it was really fun. I enjoyed it. And, um, I never had any like bad experiences. I never, um, luckily, maybe because, because one of my parents was always there, um, never had any like, um, instances where I felt like I was being taken advantage of or misused in any way. So I had a super positive experience and made some money to, you know, stock away for, for later. Um, my parents did a good job of, you know, not being like, okay, this is your money. Go spend it. They were like, you didn't make anything like go back to school. Away for later. <laughs> we'll handle it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smart parents. Um, smart. Yeah. <laughs> I did buy, they let me in my junior year. They let me buy, um, a Hyundai Elantra, a used car, um, to have a mode of transportation in in high school. And I still have that car today. <laughs> same car, still drive the same car. But that was, yeah, that was pretty much it. And um, they saved all the money for later, which is really nice. Um, and it was a great experience. I loved it. And then when it came time to decide what to do, uh, I thought I was going to move and move to New York and become a model. But then, yeah, I just started getting calls from school saying, we want you to come run with us. And like, mm -hmm. we're going to pay for your education. And I was like, whoa, like, I didn't know that was going to be an option. And so then I had to rethink it's things. A big deal. Yeah. I was like, I could get a free education and maybe I could go back to modeling later. Like, you know, I can't go say, oh, okay, I'll accept your scholarship in three years. Like it was like Doesn't now or never. Yeah. yeah. So I thought maybe I could do this and then I could have my cake and eat it too. I could get the free ride to school and then go a mile later. Um, but yeah, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> what are some of the biggest lessons that modeling taught you? Um, I think the travel was a big one, um, getting comfortable meeting other people. I mean, you'd be on set and I was like 13 and I had to, you know, present myself in a very professional way and, um, you know, talk to people who I didn't know and, um, work with people. They were, you know, they treated me like a grown up, even though I was only 13 or 14 years old. Um, and so that was, I think that was a big deal. Like that was my high school job. And a lot of people, you know, would end up working as like whatever it is, a waitress or I worked at McDonald's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, but you have to be a professional in that setting and, and speak to people professionally and they mm -hmm. treat you like an adult and you have to deal with issues. And, you know, and I, so I did a lot of those things in a lot of ways that was just like a normal job where you have to be a professional and, um, you might be tired or hungry or not want to be there and you have to suck it up and act like 
you don't act like you're happy. <laughs> and then when you're done, you can be like, oh my God, I was so tired or I just, you know, wanted to lay down. Um, so I think that was a really good lesson for me and, and being able to travel and travel well is something I have to do now for mm-hmm. my job too. So luckily that carried over as a good skill to have too. Um, yeah. Would you do runway shows or were you modeling for advertising agencies or was it a combination of Yeah, the two? a little bit of everything. Um, I did a couple runway things. Um, I was actually, believe it or not, a little bit short for runway. I'm only five nine and like maybe five nine and a half, you know. Um, so I was like maybe an inch short for some runway stuff. But I did like a Tommy Hilfiger runway show in Amsterdam one time. Um, mostly though, it was um, like stills, like, uh, photo shoots for magazines or yeah, companies. Um, my sophomore year, one of my best memories is my sophomore year of high school for spring break. I had a job in Paris for two, it was a two day shoot. Um, but it was just happened to be over spring break. And so my dad and I went to Paris for the whole week and he was my running, you know, coach. So we made, he made sure I got my workouts in and stuff, but, um, outside of the shoot time and the running time, we just explored Paris together and had so much fun. Just, you cool know, never been there. Yeah. And it was spring break. So like that was the coolest spring break trip I ever got. Um, but yeah, just, you know, opportunities like that. Or there was one time where my mom and I went to Turks and Caicos for a job and I spent an extra 24 hours there at, you know, after the shoot was over with my mom, we rented bikes and just rode around the Island and stuff like that. Again, stuff I never would have done. Awesome opportunities. Yeah. Without this, that never would have been possible for my family. Both my parents are teachers. And so we, yeah, we don't do vacations like that. Um, so it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to hear the similarities between that and what being a pro runner is like, I mean, you'll spend your summer in Europe, you're off to altitude camp, you might have to go here for a shoot. Yeah. And 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 very similar where it's like, yeah, you might go, you know, there's those two examples I just said were exceptions to the rule where it was usually you go and you fly in, you see the airport, you see the hotel, you see the, the set. It's usually an indoor you know, photo shoot in a studio. You see, you see the studio, you might see like a restaurant because you might, you know, go out to eat and then you go back to the hotel, back to the airport. Like you, oh, I went to LA, but like you didn't really go to LA. And it's the same thing for running a lot of times. Yeah, Yeah. Hotel X and like a random studio. Um, And it's totally the same thing for running a lot of times. We go like um, to some really cool cities. Like when I went to Paris, I, um, yeah, I raced there, but... Luckily, I had already been there and then seen the city or else I probably would have been like, oh, I want to go out and explore. And you just can't like you have to rest and, you know, get treatment and just do your normal routine thing. Yeah, because you're there to do a job. So it's very similar. Last question. Here we are. Second day of 2019. Yeah. What is exciting you about the year ahead personally and about the sport of running in general? Yeah. Um, it's a world's year, which is always exciting this past year, you know, there's no world championships. And that was the first time that happened since I was a pro because I, I had, um, 2015 world champs, 2016 Olympics, 2017 world champs. So then 2018 was kind of weird, um, in that way. So back to, uh, a world champs year, we're going to Doha hopefully in the fall. Um, so you can race at like two 30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So weird. I actually heard that the, uh, stadium that we're going to be in is air conditioned. Okay. Which is crazy. That but is crazy. Good it's like indoor track in the summertime. It's so hot there. I went to Doha last year in May with Courtney and it was brutally hot. Uh, we got a little taste of it then. So I'm excited to hear that if it's if that's true. 
Um, but anyway, that'll be fun. Um, no indoor, you know, world's track this year. So we'll have probably a very short indoor season, take a little break and then prepare for outdoors. Um, I'm excited, like I said, to be right now, knock on wood, injury free and going into the new year, just feeling very strong and ready to, you know, put in some good work and, and hopefully all that, um, base training is going to pay off when I hit track season. Um, and I want to, yeah, I want to get closer to that nine minute mark. Um, last year I ran nine fifteen. uh, sorry, two years ago in 2017, I ran nine fifteen. Then last year in 2018, I ran nine ten. Um, the year before that I ran nine twenty. So I've just keep taking off Chipping five away. seconds. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, just trying to get closer and closer to that nine minute mark. Um, Courtney, you know, ran the American record this year. Um, and she was also trying to break break nine. It's a big barrier. So we're going to be working together She's your to training try and partner. do that. Yep. We get to work together every day to do that, which is great. Um, very lucky to have that. Um, and yeah, and the rest of the babes too, will be, we'll all be working really hard. So it'll be, it'll be a fun year. I think we're going to try and get as many people as possible to qualify for Doha and just have a squad, um, going out there, which will be really fun. Awesome. I will get laid over the coals if I don't ask you about <laughs> Braids. Oh, Tell yes. me about Fast Braid Friday. God, I can't believe I almost <laughs> forgot that, especially since one of my athletes, Carly Gill, was one of the basically founded the Runner yes. Braids Instagram account. And you guys have done some stuff yeah. together in New York and mm-hmm. done little pop ups. Tell me about the origins of Fast Braid Friday. Fast Braid Friday. Yeah. Well, it started out as French, uh, French Braid Friday because I wear my hair in a French braid a lot. And so I posted one time about my French braid and I was like, is hashtag French braid Friday a thing? Cause it should be a thing. And it was kind of silly and goofy and I didn't really mean for it to be a thing. I just was like being silly on Instagram. Um, and then I started getting pictures of braids. People started sending me their braid pictures. So I was like, Oh, this is, this could be a thing. Like, let's do it. And so we were posting more and more and every Friday I started doing it. Um, and then my teammate Shelby started to troll me on Instagram by <laughs> creating her own hashtag, um, French bread Friday, pretty so, brilliant. which was hilarious. And we would work together on posting, like we'd be at altitude camp and I'd be getting, you know, Thursday, I'd be getting my post together for tomorrow. And, you know, I'd be on a run and have the girls take a photo of me or something. And then, and then Shelby would go buy a baguette and then copy the same photo that I was doing. And then I would tell her what caption I was doing. And she would just say, like, if I was saying, oh, like this French braid is making me feel so fast. I'm preparing for <laughs> like whatever. She would just take out braid and replace it with bread. This French bread is making me feel so fast. <laughs> and like it was I love it. so ridiculous, but it was, we were just having fun with it. Um, and now it's a thing. And now it's a thing. And we changed the hashtag to fast braid Friday, just to be more inclusive of all different types of braids that it doesn't have to be a French braid. It could be whatever the heck makes you feel good. And so it's all about just doing something with your hair that, you know, is kind of silly, but it makes, it makes a difference. It makes you feel confident. It makes you feel like I'm, you know, put together, I'm ready to go. It's kind of like your armor for when you're getting ready for war. I'm going to do my hair and I'm getting the starting line. I'm going to crush it. You know, whether it's a workout, a tough workout that you have that you're, you know, excited about or nervous about or a big race, uh, anything that you need a little extra confidence, you need a little confidence boost. And so, yeah, that's what it's all about. And Carly and I did a fun pop-up braid bar when I was in New York for Fifth Ave Miles, our first, my first ever Fast Braid Friday event. 
It was so fun. I had like um, 12, I think, braiders there. Um, Carly and a couple of her friends and then some women from the Aveda salon came out to help make the people who came to get their hair braided feel like a million bucks. And it was really fun to see all the smiles. Everyone was just having a blast. Uh, And then we went for a little fun run afterwards in our fast braids. That's awesome. It's just (laughs) wild to open up Instagram on a Friday and see my feed just blow up with this stuff because you guys made it a thing. And I think that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's hilarious. I I love the stories behind it the most. Like they'll post something, you know, a fun picture of their braid or whatever, but they'll, you know, say why or why they put their braid in that that day and what they needed it for or like all week like it's a Tuesday but I was doing something really important so I put a braid in you know (laughs) it doesn't matter what day of the week it is um yeah it's been really fun to watch so I'm hoping another goal for 2019 I hope that continues to grow I if I had to guess I would say (laughs) pretty safe bet that it will well (laughs) Colleen thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it this was super fun thank you thanks for having me All right, that's a wrap on this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed it, even if you didn't, hit me up on Twitter. That's at Mario Fraioli, M-A-R-I-O-F-R-A-I-O-L-I. And give it to me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I can take it all. If you would like to further support the show, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to audio on and just leave a rating and a review. Only takes a few seconds, helps other listeners to discover the show, and it really means a lot to me. So thank you to everyone who has done so already. Really, really does mean a lot. Also, big thank you to Strava. They sponsored this episode. I've personally been a Strava user for five years now. I love the platform. Look me up. Follow my training. Post to it almost every day. Strava is hands down the best app for runners, cyclists, and triathletes. It's a great way to keep yourself accountable, stick to those New Year's resolutions, keep track of your training, analyze the data afterward, and really, it's just a great way to get motivated by other athletes who are getting out and getting after it every day. Strava is free to use whenever you want to log a run or a workout, but there's also a number of extra special summit features that cost just a few dollars a month. They allow you to set goals and stay motivated, better analyze your workouts, dig deeper into the data, share your location during activities with significant others, and explore new places with confidence and a lot more. For a limited time, you can check those out. Strava is offering Morning Shakeout listeners, that is you, a chance to try those summit features for free. Go to strava.com slash summit. That's S-T-R-A-V-A dot com slash summit, S-U-M-M-I-T, and enter the code SHAKEOUT. That is one word, all lowercase letters, S-H-A-K-E-O-U-T, SHAKEOUT, at checkout, and see what Summit's all about. Finally, thank you to my audio ninja, John Summerford of bearsrecords.com, for making this show sound as good as it does. I think that'll do it. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you.